You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Last week we uh, dealt with the fact that little things matter. And if you were here, hopefully you remember that. And if not, I, I don't pretend like you remember all the messages that get preached here uh, but but in the, we talked about how you have to deal with things, the little things. You have to keep the little things in the forefront, even when the timing seems all wrong, even when you have to wait. And I mentioned a number of things that I'd like to see us improve on and things that I think could be a help to our church. And, you know, we talked about things like you know, tracking our guests and and uh, Sunday school policies and, and making sure that we've got, we're on the same page and things like that and our nursery policies, and, and I'm going somewhere with a review here tonight, uh, talked about how, you know, we, we'd like to get some more adult Sunday school classes, but we need some more space and uh, more energy in the services, uh, some improvements to the sound system, more involvement in outreach, men's prayer meeting attendance, better discipleship efforts, things like that. We talked about how the little things matter, and one, one trend that I've noticed here at Eastside Baptist Church that's been extremely encouraging is how you respond to messages like that. I'm thankful that when I, if I would get up and convey something that is, has a practical application, that I, in my opinion, it seems like Eastside Baptist Church does good at applying it right away. And I had some teachers tell me this morning that uh, they went into their class and they were a little bit later than normal, not late for church, but later than normal. They showed up and every one of their kids were in the classroom just waiting for them because their parents all came early. And I say, thank the Lord for that. The buses were here on time and the, and the, and the classes were starting and people were here and I'm thankful. I, I think a couple of weeks, months ago, I preached out of Nehemiah here and highlighted his heart for God's house and then I applied it to how our children treat this building sometimes before and after church, just trying to create a mindset and can I just say, even your response to that message has been nothing short but in, of encouraging to me. And I, I mean, I walk out in the foyer now and I just see a, a difference in the way that you are training your children to treat God's house. And, and tonight I want to start by commending you for being willing to adjust the little things. Because a lot of people look at the little things in a church setting and they, they say, well, those are the things that don't really matter all that much. What matters is the building and what matters is the long-term vision and what matters are the big plans and the big vision and the big things. But I don't know that we realize just how important it is to adjust the little things when they need adjusting. Because the little things are, I believe, what God gives us as stewards to find out if we're ready for the big things. If we're willing to go in and adjust something like teaching our children or training our children how to, how to act in the foyer out there, God notices those things. And I truly believe that when it comes time for Eastside Baptist Church to get to experience something big, then we'll be ready for it. Because we hear the Word of God and we respond correctly. And, and I just want to tell you, I want to commend you for working on the things that get preached it shows a great spirit of cooperation, so I applaud you for being submissive and being willing to submit to a process with a good spirit. But it goes along with what we talked about last week in the little things. The little things do matter. 
Zechariah 4.10, for who hath despised the day of small things. A lot of people look at the little things as the things that are expendable. But we've already seen in Nehemiah's life um, that the little things matter. And last week we saw how he just kept doing his job even though he had to wait. He didn't neglect the basics just because God made him wait. He stayed faithful to continue to do his job as the king's cupbearer in that position, even though the timing was killing him. I mean, we know the timing was eating at him because he was still sad in the king's presence. And and the lesson that we kind of looked at last week is while we're waiting on the big things, don't neglect the little things. And I, I think all of us would agree that we want big things to happen at Eastside Baptist Church. I'd love for big things to happen. I, I'd love for us to fill this place up and not just for numbers because it means, that, though, that we're reaching souls. I'd love to reach our neighborhood. I mean, this neighborhood right here, all of these houses right here that represent family after family with children and, and new houses coming into the east, I'd love to see the majority of those families in this neighborhood coming to Eastside Baptist Church. It's a short commute. I mean, what, what better place to come? You just walk during the summer and and uh, get a snowmobile in the wintertime, and you can be here. So I'd love to see big things happen. I'd love to see us expand the building someday and, and have space and, and have all of these things. But, but while we're waiting on the big things, God determines if we're ready for the big things by how we treat the little things. So don't neglect them. If we're faithful to those, God blesses us with more. And I want to carry that thought in tonight's message because... Tonight, the thought is that, you know, seeing the importance of the little things, at the same time, seeing the importance of God's timing. And last week, we talked about how God's timing doesn't change, or timing doesn't change a calling. And it had been about four months uh, here in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 2. It had been about four months since God had laid it on Nehemiah's heart to go to Jerusalem and rebuild the wall. And for some reason or another, Nehemiah hasn't approached the king yet. And And I think it's probably because he hasn't had opportunity to approach the king. Um, But whatever the reason for the delay, Nehemiah didn't lose his zeal for the task. As I already mentioned, uh, the the king notices in Nehemiah's face and in his countenance that Nehemiah was sad. And, And so what that tells me is that even four months after the call, Nehemiah hasn't lost his passion for what God has called him to do. And timing doesn't affect a call. Timing, uh, God's timing, if he makes us wait, it doesn't mean that he doesn't want us to continue to do what he asked us to do. It, it doesn't lessen the need. It doesn't lessen the burden. I've, I've known many young people that make a decision and, and they're emotional and they're excited about serving the Lord. Or they get their lives right. And I'm thinking about camp even just this week and, and how teenagers will make a decision. Young people will, will go to camp and they'll hear the word preached and they'll say, I want to do that. I want to be a preacher. I want to be a missionary. I want to be a good, solid, faithful layman in, my, in our church. And, or I just want to be a witness at school. I want to be a witness in my neighborhood. All of these things that teenagers get excited about. And yet they come back and, and after a while they've lost their zeal for it. They lose their excitement for it. Young people, let me just tell you that whatever decision you make this week at camp. And whatever God speaks to you about. If in four months you have, still haven't seen it realized. It doesn't mean it wasn't real. God still wants you to follow that call. He still wants you to answer that call and to, to follow that burden. And that's the way it worked even in my own life. I talked about that last week, how God called me as a young person, but I didn't get to pastor until over 30 years after He had called me. 
You know, just because we have to wait doesn't mean the call is less. I want to notice, though, that Nehemiah was still doing what he was supposed to do. In verse 1, it says that the wine was before him. That means the, it was time for the king to, uh, to have a feast, and Nehemiah's job is to taste the food and drink the drink before to make sure that it's not poisoned. He's with the king. He's still doing his job, even though he has to wait. And, and this seems then like the appropriate time for Nehemiah to bring up his desire to go to Jerusalem. You know, recognizing that it's the right time to present the idea to the king, he, he suddenly becomes very transparent. In verse 1 again, it says, I had not been before time sad in his presence. And we can take that to mean that Nehemiah had always been cheerful and pleasant in the king's presence. Can you imagine working a job where it was possible to always be happy? Can you imagine having a job that fulfilled you that much? You know, I can't either. I mean, in most jobs I had as a young man, I found it, to, found it maybe to be more difficult to be happy sometimes than to be sad. Just because of the environment sometimes. And, and what I want to point out tonight is that this speaks to Nehemiah's consistency. Because do you think that every day on the job with the king was an easy, good, fun day? Absolutely not. There are no jobs like that. And yet here's Nehemiah once again giving us an example of what it's like to make sure the little things matter. Because even in his countenance, Nehemiah was cheerful all the time. So cheerful that when he's suddenly not cheerful, the king notices it. It speaks though to his his desire to be right and to be cheerful and to have the right spirit, it also speaks to his courage because expressing sadness in the king's presence is a dangerous proposition. And Nehemiah's response tells us maybe much about the danger of the situation. First, after the king notices that he's sad in verse 2, at the end of verse 2, it says, Then was I, I was very sore afraid. This was after the king had asked him about the sad countenance and And Nehemiah knows he's on thin ice. You're not supposed to be sad around the king. You're not supposed to have have a poor countenance. He knows the king could have him executed if he doesn't like his countenance. If he doesn't like his countenance, if he doesn't like his explanation, if he doesn't like his request, Nehemiah is in a dangerous position right here. He's on dangerous ground. And, And if you want to build something that lasts, which is what we're talking about here in Nehemiah, if you want to arise and build something that lasts, You cannot allow fear to hinder the work. You can't allow fear to stop you what you're doing. And and I believe that fear on our part is often a hindrance to God's purpose. You know, when when we're called to witness and we're we're called to talk to someone about the Lord and, and, you know, honestly, it doesn't have to be some specific call. It's a call for everyone. Now, we're all told that wherever we go and to all the world, we're to preach the gospel to every creature. But I don't know that it happens nearly as much as it should. And I understand it uh, because we're afraid. It's fearful. If you've ever gone up to a stranger that you don't know and, and tried to give them a track or talk to them about the Lord, it's not an easy thing to do. I think that's the reason that you know we don't have very many come out on Thursday or Saturdays for outreach because it's a, it's a terrifying thing. It's fearful. I'm afraid when I go. I, yeah, I've been doing it a long time and still when I knock on a door, I, I have a tinge of adrenaline that flows. 
No, we get afraid, and I think that hinders God's work. Here's Nehemiah. He's not afraid to take a request to the king. Well, maybe he is afraid, but he just trusts the Lord enough to help him through it. So in witnessing or in serving outside of our comfort zone or in teaching, you know, we, we really could have some more help. I, was, I noticed in the bulletin every week, it says volunteer needed there on the nursery. And, and honestly, I, I, it, it makes me uncomfortable to put that in the bulletin. Because if a guest comes along and they see in red volunteer needed in the nursery, it makes it seem like we can't get people to come out and serve in the positions that we have. So in some, case, in some ways, I'm kind of uncomfortable putting it there. I'm not sure I love it being there, but on the other hand, it kind of adds some accountability to it, doesn't it? Because as long as someone uh, doesn't volunteer, then it'll be in the bulletin. You know, sometimes there, there are reasons that we don't serve or, or teach or, or, or step outside of ourselves and, and, and get involved. And I think that fear very often is a reason God's people don't come out to work. But if you believe strongly enough in God's work and God's house, fear can't stop you from moving forward. Fear won't. Here's Nehemiah, and he has such a heart for God's house, he has such a heart for God's work, that even if a king, even a king with the power to take him out, wasn't enough to stop Nehemiah. Even though he's afraid, he gives his request in verse 3, and he, he does something wise here. He begins with a compliment. He says, And said unto the king, Let the king live forever. You know, it's not bad if you're about to ask somebody something that you're a little bit afraid of to tell them their hair looks nice. Say, so You look great today, by the way. Oh, also, I have a request. He begins with a compliment, and then he says, Let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad? When the city, the place of my father's sepulchres, lieth waste, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire. And I find that interesting that he says, why shouldn't I be sad? Why shouldn't I be upset? See, if you love God's house, and you love God's work, and you love God's people, you can't be anything but upset when God's work is not promoting when God's work is not advancing, you can't help but be upset when, God, when the people in your neighborhood are not being reached. Now, I think it's an indictment on us that, that we can allow God's work to go undone or we can allow our neighbors to go unreached or we can allow a red ink on the bulletin to stay in there week after week after week because if we had a passion for God's house and we had a passion for God's people and we had a passion for God's work, like we should, it should bother us. We couldn't be anything but bothered that those things are getting left undone. And I think it's an indictment, and I'm not saying it's just about you. I'm saying it's about me, and I'm saying it's about God's people in general everywhere. There's not nearly enough passion for God's work or God's house or God's people. And we need to ask the Lord to give us a love for God's work that in a situation, even when his life was in danger, Nehemiah had it, and we should have it too. It's not like the work of God is less important these days. So Nehemiah comes, he just spills the beans. You ever do that? I mean, he gives the king the rundown, and, and he says, the places of honor and respect lie broken down, the gates are burned with fire, and, you know, have you ever done that where you, don't, you just have something to say, and you, you're waiting to say it, and you're fearful and afraid to just come out and say it, Maybe somebody, you, maybe you've got to share some bad news or, 
or you have to confront some issue and or maybe someone just needs to hear the truth and and you wring your hands and you wrestle and oh I don't know if I can do this and and then when it's time and and you get an opening and it just kind of comes out like a fire hydrant I mean this is four months of 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 bound up energy and bound up zeal and bound up passion on Nehemiah's behalf he just comes and he just spills it all and and sometimes you just have to blurt it out and hope for the best. It's kind of like the Peter way to, to approach people. Just whatever comes out, just let it come. You know, it's one thing to do that to a friend or sibling or a parent. But Nehemiah is doing it. His, his love for God's work is so much, he's doing it to someone that can have removed his head. But that doesn't stop Nehemiah because that's how much he loves God's work. And I, know, I want you to notice the king's response in verse 4. It says, Then the king said unto me, for what dost thou make request? The king says, what is it that you're asking? Nehemiah comes out and he says, again, you know, I, the, the, the walls are broken down. The city is in ruin. It lies in waste. It's been burned. And, and the, the temple is just left exposed. And the king says, okay, well, give me your request. And here's where we kind of start to get into the application tonight. Because I want you to notice, after the king says, for what dost thou make request? I want you to notice Nehemiah's first step. He says, so I prayed to the God of heaven. What does thou request, Nehemiah? So I got on Facebook and started typing. Hey, y'all pray for me. I'm about to go into the king. He could remove my head. It's like, I got, ooh, I've got 50 likes. Okay. No, he doesn't go to Facebook and he doesn't go to his friends. He doesn't, he doesn't call his parents. He doesn't, he doesn't get on the phone and start a prayer chain. He himself starts to pray himself. And I'm not saying that all those things are bad or wrong, but your first step, if you've got a need, should be to God himself. The king says, what do you want? What, what's your request? And he says, I stopped and prayed. Because that should be our first stop every time. All the other things are good. We need a network of people. We need people praying for us. But if you ever get to the point where you have a need and you're asking everybody on the prayer chain to pray for you before you've prayed for that need, I think we're, we have gotten the order all wrong. I want people to pray. I'd love for God's people to support our needs in prayer and to help us with the things that we, we need. I, I think about the house and in that situation, and, and I'm thankful that you've prayed, but I can promise you I've been praying about it too. No, Nehemiah recognizes the importance of God's timing. He hasn't gone rogue here. He hasn't said, okay, I've given the request. The king has said, what do you want me to do? And then suddenly he leaves God out of the picture and says, okay, here we go. Okay, king, here's my plan. No, he goes to God first. Because he knows that unless God is involved in this interaction, that it could still all fall apart. And it's another little thing. And that's one thing that I've seen, I'm seeing in, in Nehemiah's life. It's a sign that Nehemiah was only interested in God's timing. He knew this was his shot, and he didn't want to blow it, so he stops to pray. His response is what I want to focus on tonight because I want you to see tonight that timing doesn't only apply to the big things. Timing does not only apply to the big things. 
See, we've already seen how Nehemiah waits for God's timing to even ask the king in the first place. And I want you to follow along uh, just so that we, I make sure everybody gets it tonight uh, because I think it's an important principle for us. We've already seen how Nehemiah waits for God's timing to even ask the king in the first place. So, but notice that what he does after the king asks him, what are you asking for? I prayed to the God of heaven, then I said unto the king. I prayed unto the God of heaven, verse 5, and then I said unto the king. Catch that. See, Nehemiah has already given the king the information. He just hasn't asked the question yet. He hasn't given his request. But he waits again. He doesn't just jump in and answer the question. He stops and asks God for intervention. So Nehemiah is still waiting for God's timing. But this one isn't four months. This one is maybe four seconds. See, this is what I want to focus on tonight. God's timing is essential for anything that matters. And I I believe that we're willing to wait a long time for big things. If it's big enough, I have no choice but to wait. I can't make it happen any faster than it needs to. But where I think we fail the most is when when it comes to God's timing is in the small things. See, maybe it's better to say we're good at waiting for the long term, but we're not as good at waiting for the short term. See, here's the principle is that God is in the small interactions as much as he is in the big decisions. See, we're good at trusting God, God in his timing for the things we can't control. But we're not very good at trusting God's timing for the things we can control. Let me say that again. We're good at trusting God's timing for the things that we can't control, but we're not very good at trusting God's timing for the things we can't control. In this case, Nehemiah has trusted God for four months. There wasn't much to be done but wait. I mean, when it's big enough, it can be easy to trust God because you can't do anything about it. You have to wait for it. But Nehemiah's example also proves that he trusted God for the small things when he prayed to the God of heaven. He stopped to pray so that God would have a part in this small interaction with the king. So what could have derailed the plan? Well, um, could, could it have derailed the plan if, if Nehemiah had gotten impatient waiting those four months? I mean, what if Nehemiah had just burst into the king's quarters the day after God showed him that he was to be the one to go and rebuild the walls? What if he had just burst in without waiting for God's timing? Could that have derailed God's plan? Could it have? Yes, it could have. But what, what, could it also have derailed God's plan if in this interaction right here, after he tells the king, uh, this is what I want to do, this is what I think God is asking me to do, if, what if he had just jumped in without praying and had asked the king in his own flesh or in a way that offended the king, could that have derailed the plan? Absolutely. They both could have derailed the plan. It's not just the four-month problems, but it's also the four-second problems that trip us up. See, Nehemiah prayed because he knew that a mistake in a four-second interaction could do just as much damage to God's work as a mistake in a four-month decision. The fact that Nehemiah prayed in this moment is how I want to apply this tonight. You see, I'm not nearly as worried about myself waiting on God's timing for what we could call the four-month problems. You know those problems that are so big that you can't do anything about them in your strength? 
The four-month problems are big. They're too big for me to think that I can handle on my own. So I don't have any trouble trusting God for those four-month problems. Four-second problems, though, on the other hand, usually that's no big deal. I mean, I can't come up with a blueprint for walls on my own, so I'll trust God to help me with that. But I can go talk to a king. It'll be fine. But wait, according to Nehemiah's example, he was as concerned and careful about four seconds as he was about four months. In other words, the success of God's work isn't just dependent on the big plans. The success of God's work will either rise or fall on small interactions. See, God is as much in the small interactions as he is in the big decisions. And I'm applying it tonight to the work of God through Eastside Baptist Church. In our church, we're building a strong foundation, and I'm thankful for it. We've got a great start, we've got a great building, and we're building toward uh, even strengthening it even further. It takes time and effort, though. We have to wait. Rome wasn't built in a day, I understand that. To build a church full of committed disciples takes years. It's been worked on for years, and it'll take years more. Uh, We'll have to wait for those things to happen sometimes. That's an example, though, of four-month problems. These are the problems that take time. And Nehemiah was willing to wait because going back to Jerusalem and building walls is a huge task. That's not easy. Four-month problems are, are so big we can't do anything but wait. We have to be patient. But honestly, it's not the four-month problems that scare me the most. The four-month problems aren't likely the part that will prevent us from becoming all we're supposed to be. Because they take time and we just have to trust God for them. Honestly, Eastside Baptist Church, it's more likely the small things that will prevent us from becoming all that we're supposed to be. It's the four second problems that will likely trip us up as we try to build something here that lasts. We ought to be just as careful about the small interactions. See, in my experience, it's the four second problems that do the most to hinder God's work. More than the four month problems. When it's out of our hands, I can't do much anyway, so I've got to trust God. But when it's on the tip of my tongue, it's a lot harder to suppress it. Four month versus four second. And how does this really apply? Well, I think about paying off our building. I'd love to pay this building off. If if you have some money, I mean, I can take you to the bank. Take your checkbook. Paying down our building, is that a four month mountain or a four second problem? That's a four month mountain, isn't it? Well, I have no doubt that if we patiently labor, it'll happen someday. By faith, I believe it will, and I'm thankful, looking forward to the day. Hopefully sooner than someday, down the road. That's a four-month mountain, and debt can hinder God's work. It can. But we survive, and we push forward, and we're doing well financially, and I'm thankful for that. But that's a four-month problem. But not responding when someone makes a remark that you think isn't very nice after church on Sunday night? That's a four-second problem. But in terms of the unity of our church, which do you anticipate being our biggest problem? It's not our debt. 
And I'm not even saying I see this. I'm simply saying what potentially could trip us up the most. If you see a mountain, you're not likely to miss it. But you could, in the dark, trip over a tree stump. Building disciples is a four-month task. It takes time. You don't educate a child in a couple of weeks any more than you could educate a follower of Christ in just a couple of weeks. But honestly, I'm less concerned about a four-month task like building disciples than I am about a four-second problem like gossip. Which do you think will hinder the work of God the most? Waiting a little bit longer to build disciples or when something happens, God's people not disciplining them themselves enough to not talk about it. You know, reaching Sioux Falls goes in that four-month side, in that four-month basket. But a hypercritical spirit toward church decisions, that definitely falls into the four-second category. So let me ask you this. Which do you imagine would hinder our church's unity the most? Lack of programs... I mean, there's a lot of things I'd, I'd love to see us do. I'd love to see us implement and I'd love to see us have organized. Those are four-month projects. But unkind words or factions that are at odds with each other, those are four-second problems. Which are more dangerous? Outreach, I mean, training so that we know what to say, that's a four-month issue. But not praying and asking God's help before you talk to somebody, that's a four-second issue. A nice building. I mean, this is a four-month kind of an asset. This is a beautiful building. And I say it all the time. I just marvel at what God has done at Eastside Baptist Church. This is a four-month kind of an asset. But having nice facilities without a friendly spirit when a guest come in. That's not an environment I have any interest in. But our four-second interactions could do more to damage or help our church than a building ever could. And honestly, if we have a church full of people that are unfriendly, I'd trade a nice building and go somewhere nobody's impressed with if the spirit is right. Because it's a four-month asset, but probably the biggest detriment to us reaching our community is what happens in our interactions with people. And we're better at trusting God for the big things than we are the small things. But the small things will likely make the biggest differences. See, small things are big in God's eyes. I think about the mustard seed in Matthew 13. We just have faith as the grain of a mustard seed. I mean, all kinds of great things can happen. I think about that little boy in John 6 who brought his lunch and he had five loaves and two fishes, which isn't enough to feed even half of an intern. If you've had them over for supper, maybe that's why nobody's signing up for July, guys. They're still paying you off from May. Five loaves and two fishes, that's not very much food. But God took the little thing and he made it really big. So little things matter to God and it can be very good, but it can also be harmful. Ecclesiastes 10.1 says, Dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savor. So doth a little folly him that is in reputation for wisdom and honor. What a verse. I mean, dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary, which is the anointing oil used in, in worship and, and in anointing, to send, it causes that 
that apothecary, that mixture of ointments to have a stinking savor. And it just takes a little folly um, to, uh, to affect someone's reputation when they've had wisdom and honor. I mean, the small things are very likely, Eastside Baptist Church, the biggest reasons that we'll, if we never do, that we won't accomplish all the things we want to. We have a building. We have a good group of people here tonight. I'm thankful for all the assets. I'm thankful for all the four-month victories that we have and the four-month assets and, and the big things that we have going for us. But honestly, I don't think that that's going to be our biggest hindrance. It's the four-second interactions. It's when you have an opportunity to bite back or to speak back or to speak a word of encouragement or to fall in when so, with someone that has the wrong spirit or to start gossiping with someone that's gossiping or, or, or to have an interaction with a guest that's less than negative. And that you, in those interactions, we tend to not trust God very much for those because those are small. But I don't know, according to Nehemiah's example here, that those might be the interactions we need God the most. Those are the interactions in which we forget that we're still dependent on God for his timing, whether it's four seconds or four months. I read an illustration last year that kind of struck me. In 1996, tragedy struck the slopes of Mount Everest and many climbers, maybe you've heard of this, there was a major blizzard. Many climbers were on the mountain and they were coming down, large groups, small groups, some solo climbers, and they were caught in this blizzard attempting to descend the summit of Mount Everest, 96. Eight people lost their lives that day. And I think they've turned it into a book. I think they've turned it into a movie. You know, one that survived was a lady named Charlotte Fox. And she was the first woman to climb three mountains at altitudes of at least 8,000 meters or 26,000 feet. And after she reached Everest, she was the first lady to do it to three mountains that tall, which is pretty incredible. She was a tough lady. She went through a lot of hardships and endured a lot. Her longtime boyfriend in 1993 died in an avalanche. In 2004, her husband, Reese Martin, died in a paragliding accident. So why do I bring her name up tonight? Well, in May of 2018, just a year ago, she was found in her home by friends uh, that were staying with her. She passed away. The cause of death, she fell down the stairs in her home. And I bring that up because here's a lady who had accomplished much. She'd climbed mountains. She was a famous climber. She'd survived in a, a blizzard. She'd survived in the worst of conditions but it was her stairs at home that were her, at the, at the very end, that were it, it, the destruction. And I bring that up because stairs are a four-second problem. Mount Everest is a four-month problem. I mean, Mount Everest is big. So big, you've got to be ready for that. But going down the stairs is something she'd probably done thousands of times in her life. So she wasn't thinking about the fact that I need to be prepared for this moment. I need to be training to go down the stairs. She trained for Mount Everest. She never trained to descend her stairs. And in the end, it was her stairs that were her downfall. 
And tonight, I just want us to consider the fact that Eastside Baptist Church has so much potential. God wants to do great things through our church. Big things are coming. But it won't be the four-month mountains that hinder us. I truly believe Eastside Baptist Church, it'll be a four-second problem. Now, I also believe it doesn't have to be a problem at all. Because I believe that God wants to do something special here. And if we will, in a moment like this, in a preventative type message, take to heart how big of a deal it is that you and I interact on a godly level, then we can prevent that from ever happening. And we can conquer Mount Everest without falling down the stairs. See, Nehemiah knew that God's work could not continue without a plan. But what I'm thankful for from his example is he also knew that God's work could not continue without prayer. See, Nehemiah has a great plan. We're going to see it in the coming weeks. But in the moment of decision, he doesn't skip prayer and jump straight to his master plan. Nehemiah first prayed in verse 5, and then he presented the plan. Sorry, he first prayed in verse 4, and then presented his plan in verse 5. And it's a good reminder, folks, of the order that we should work in. Prayer is four seconds. Our plans are four months. But if Eastside is going to do without one or the other, we can scrap all the plans and the programs and the long-term vision and focus on four seconds because we need prayer more than we've ever needed a plan from any man. And I'm all about being excellent, and I, with, but without prayer, it's just shine. We want both. We ought to be four-second kind of people, but we also ought to be four-month kind of people. We want great long-term vision, but we also want Christ-like, prayerful, four-second interactions with each other. So how are we doing with those? How are you doing with those? And I don't stand up here because I've heard reports and and people are telling me about these things that are going on. Not at all. This is a preventative message. It's one that's in the text and I'm just trying to bring it out because someday in the heat of a moment you will need this reminder that this this is a four second moment right here. This is a four second interaction. And if I lose sight of how big this little thing is, I could disrupt the whole plan. We'll need these. We also need the four-month vision. But how are you doing with the four-second interactions? How are you doing with each other? How are you doing with guests that come in here? Do you take the time? I, it is, I, I think we do a good job at this, but there have been plenty of times where I notice first-time guests from up here and, and there's no one around them talking to them. Those four-second interactions would be a bigger reason for a guest not to return than if our building's not very nice. So let's be mindful. How are we doing with the four seconds? How are we doing with the small things? How are we doing in reaching out to our neighborhoods? How are we doing at reaching out to our neighbors? When's the last time that you personally invited someone to church or that you personally took someone through the plan of salvation? How are we doing with those four-second interactions? We want a four-month program and we want to raise the bar and we want to do things well, but more importantly than that, we need four-second zeal to reach our neighbors and connect with guests and have a testimony in our communities. How are we doing with those things? How are you doing not in the big things, but in the little? Are you trusting God for the big four-month things, but 
neglecting him when it's a four-second kind of an interaction. Let me just make three closing statements and we'll be done. The work of God is more likely to be hindered in the small details than in the large plans. Second, God is as much in the small interactions as he is in the big decisions. And third, God's work can't continue without a plan. But even bigger, God's work can't continue without prayer. We've got a lot to learn from Nehemiah. And tonight, if you don't remember anything else, just remember the four-second interactions are pretty big. Let's stand together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.